Shake Monday, episode 168. It's hard to believe that the Lord has allowed me to teach through the Holy Spirit 168 times over the last three and a half years. So tonight we're going to talk about what's in a number, and the answer is faith. Now, Pastor Watts and I did not confer on what we were teaching, but the Holy Spirit had him teach yesterday during the worship service about walk by faith, and tonight we're going to talk about faith. Now, with the Omicron new variant, you have fear. People are talking about fear. You talk about cases and kinds of things. You're talking about the market, stock market going down. There's fear. There's fear about shutdowns, fear about travel bans, all this fear, fear, fear. But the thing you have to recognize is that fear and faith cannot walk together. We either have to have faith in the Lord or we're going to fear the world and all the different things that are going to come come about. The reality is, after Thanksgiving, and even some, to some degree, before Thanksgiving, the blues come. People start to get depressed and feel down and feel as though things are just not going right. And now that we have the pandemic and the things going on with the markets and with people being sick and the death that's going on, it's even more opportunity for the Satan that we know to continue to make people feel down. But here's an opportunity tonight to start by letting us know that God is faithful. And Reverend Watts had talked about out of Hebrews 11, that we know Hebrews 11, 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that, whew, I got a bug, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we have to recognize that even in the midst of whatever is going on in your life, What's going on in my life? There has to be a pause, and we have to remember God's promises. So tonight, we're going to talk about numbers. If I was a theologian, I would be like Reverend Helm used to do all the time, talk about all these numbers and types, and that we're talking about plain numbers. Because in the Bible, the Lord uses numbers in a way that I don't think we even grasp. A lot of us think, oh, something about size makes the man. That's not it. What God is going to teach us tonight is that he takes away all of our opportunity to boast about our numbers, how big and smart, and what things we have. Because in the examples we're going to see about the numbers that he's going to show in the scriptures, he's going to show how he confounds us in the way that he uses the small, little things. In reality, he doesn't really need any of the things that we offer, but he uses us just so we can get a dependence on him, a reliance on him. So let's give you an example of something. Everybody gets asked a bunch of questions, and the questions oftentimes are numbers-based. And I'm just going to give you about four or five examples of questions that in your life, some friend, some coworker, some nosy Nelly in your life has asked you these type of questions. And it all has to do with numbers. But look at some of these questions that you may have heard in your life. How old are you? How much money do you make? How many years of schooling do you have? How many times have you been married? How many kids do you have? How many close friends do you have? How many, how many, how many, how many, how many? Because people want to know things about you so they can kind of assess how successful you are, if they want to be bothered with you, if they think that you all that in a bag of chips. They start to do that by asking you numbers. And in reality, you should say, I have Christ, and that's enough. 
he's more than enough. But people won't take that face value. They want to know all these different characteristics about you so they can assess what they think about you and how successful you are. But our success is not measured in numbers. It's measured in God. But God is so unique that he defies and confuses all things numbers. And I'm giving you a couple of simple examples. We all know that the Trinity, the Trinity means three in one God, triune God. But look at this. God tells us in the scriptures in Ephesians chapter four, verses five through six, that it says one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But think about this. Even though we say one Lord, we know that there's the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. That is three in one. So that's confounding when you think about numbers. Think about one faith. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. But you know in John 1 that Christ is not only the beloved son of God, but he's the word of God that became flesh. We understand that he created everything. And our faith is in him. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because we have to follow and trust and, and do the things that what Jesus Christ is asking us to do through the 66 books of the Bible, which is the inspired word of God. One baptism. You've heard many times as different preachers have preached that we have three birthdays. We have our natural birth. But then when you actually have a, a relationship with Christ and you go down in that baptism of emergence of, word, of water, you come up as a new creation. That's a new creation, your new birth experience. But then when the Lord transitions us from living in this mortal body and takes us to heaven and we take on that incorruptible, that immortal, that that's another birth, that Christ has birthed us into that new eternal glorified body. But see how God just talks about one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And there's so many things behind that as layers. But I wanted you to see something about zero. I just said one, one, one. Let's talk about zero. God says in John 15, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing, no thing. There's nothing that you can do in all of your intellect and your beauty and what you think you know. If you are apart from who God is, he is the vine. Even though you think you're doing all the successful things, the American dream, all these different things, you're patting yourself on the back. His whole purpose for us is to bear fruit, for people to know who Jesus Christ is, for us to be sharing the seed of God's word. And he says, even the things that you think you're doing, apart from him, you can do nothing. And that's the thing I think that we have to remember when we're in these congregations of worship. The worship service is about him. Not about the music, not about the building, not about what you're wearing or not wearing, not the, about how many people or the numbers in the church. We had a fabulous worship service yesterday. And I can tell you, we had empty chairs, but the Spirit of God was there. It says wherever two or three are gathered in His name. And the Spirit was there. And that worship service to talk about the Lord sharing walk by faith was powerful. So you can't be saying because of numbers, because God uses numbers that confound us. Let's go to some examples. Now these are going to be quick examples because many of you have heard these stories all of your life in the Bible, but I think that when it comes to us doing these assessments at the end of the year and we start to do the pros and cons, looking at our bank account, looking at what
you got enough. Jesus plus nothing is everything because he is all in all. Look at this example of math that doesn't work, but God uses this early in his ministry. Two fishes and five loaves. Go to John chapter uh, 6. And let's start at verse 8. He, two fishes and five loaves. That's a total of seven. But only having two fish and five loaves. But look what Christ does. So when you start saying your math, your bills, and all that stuff doesn't add up, your blood counts and all that stuff don't add up, you got to go to the Lord who knows how to confound the math, confound the numbers of man. But look what it says in verse 8 of John 6. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, little and small, small fish. But how far will they go among so many? There's more people than there is five barley loaves and two small fishes. Y'all got that, man? But here's Jesus. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down about 5,000 men were there. That's not even counting the women and the children, but 5,000 men. And y'all know a man, one man can eat more than five pieces of bread and two small fishes. So we got 5,000 men plus the women and children. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Not fractions, not fractions of a fraction, as much as they wanted, after the Lord gave thanks for what he had, he multiplied. The numbers were two and five, and he multiplied and said, all the men plus the women and children ate as much as they wanted to. Y'all been to some buffets. That could be some lot of eating. It says, they ate as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. When Christ blesses, the numbers don't make sense, guys. Because how do you take two small fishes and five loaves and you have leftovers? And I'm going to tell you, he tells you the math of the leftovers. He says, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. How do you go from five barley loaves and two small fishes because God got into the math. God got into the numbers through faith in Jesus Christ and thankful to what he can do in your life. He can make the math work. When you're trying to fret and cry instead of crying out to the Lord. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. But look at this. Let's go about another math problem. Because y'all know God is wonderful with math. Now we're going to go to Judges chapter 7 because all y'all know the story of Gideon. But here Gideon had done something brave and he wasn't no brave fella. But God is saying, I'm going I'm to use you in a battle. Now y'all know if he ain't no warrior, that's pretty daunting. And God is asking some of us to go into war and to battle, not by ourselves, but with God. When you go with God and the Lord and the battle is the Lord's, you don't have to be fretting. But here's a numbers thing show you faith. Let's start at verse 1 of Judges 7. Early in the morning, Jerubbabal, that was Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp 
of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moriah. The Lord said to Gideon, here's the key. You have too many men. And now here's the reason why. I told you God don't like boasting. He doesn't want us to come in his face and say, oh, I did this. Oh, I got this house. Oh, I got this job. Oh, I got these children. Oh, I'm so successful. I'm just living the American dream because of me, 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 me. No, 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 no. This is what God tells you. You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands. Or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. That's where God doesn't want to bless some of us overwhelmingly because we say, we did it. And he's telling Gideon, we're not going to go with 30,000 men because they'll say it was them that delivered the victory and not the Lord of Israel. And so that's the key thing about why you see all these numbers, why you see all these numbers all throughout the Bible, all throughout Christ talking about numbers, and he's watching things and he's He's edifying and uplifting things that don't make sense to us. Why would he bring out a widow to get two mites when he sees all those Pharisees dumping big money? But he says in his testimony of her, don't even have her name, she gave all that she had. He saw the heart. And here in this case, the Lord already knows man's heart. If he lets them have that, that victory with 30,000, they won't say anything about what he did. They'll talk about, oh, we did a great thing. Look at our weaponry. Look how we did a masterful strategy. But look what happened. Now he tells, the Lord tells them how he's going to decrease this man. He doesn't let it be man's idea. He says, I'm going to tell you how to do it. And there's some things in your life that God wants to cut away, purge, prune, subtract, because they're not beneficial to his divine plan. You think it's that you need a bigger house. You think you need more rooms. You think you need more money. You think you need more, more, more. And God says, trust me. Let me work in the little that you have. That's why when you start talking about tithes and offerings and people get upset and attitudes, why God want my money? That's the problem. It's not our money. It's his blessing in our hands. And he just says, be faithful to give me just the 10% and the offering above it. But we said, no, I want all 100% of it, God. You can't, you can't take my money, and that's where we have a wrong attitude. But let's go on with the story. Verse 3, now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear, there we go with that fear, may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left. They started with 30. 22,000 of them, that's more than a, a big majority, were fearful, and they walked away. Some people have a whole congregation of people in the church and have no faith. They're fearful when the pastor says, God has told me to do this. And they want to say, Pastor, we can't do this. We can't. We can't. We can't. Guess what? You can't because you don't have the faith in God. Your congregations aren't full of faith. They're full of fear. And God says, if you have fear, turn back. And here in this case here, 22,000 men left when there were 10,000 remaining. But guess what? Still too big a number because people can brag and boast and say it was them. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Ain't no middle ground there. You ain't got to say in this, Gideon, because the Lord is saying, 
who he wants, how he's going to know how he wants to choose these people, not you and your little fabulous marketing ideas. You're not going to look at the resume. And you're going to say, oh, I want this person because they've been this many years in college. I want this person because they got a big bank account. I want this person because they're black or they're white or Asian. No, no, no. God says, I'm going to make these choices. I'm going to know who's not only not fearful, but who is the right person to do the mission of this battle that I'm going to deliver into your hands. So verse 5 says, so Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Now, I don't know if you realize what he's doing. You know if you put your hand in the cup and you get the water, you scoop it up, and then you lick, versus if you put your face down in the water, lick from there. God says the people that have the sense enough to cup their hands and lap from their hands cup, those are the people I want. 10,000 went down to get a drink of water. Only 300 lapped. God says, those are the men that you will be going into battle with. That was his decision. He didn't give a rationale for it, but he says, I'm going to choose them, and I'm going to say who goes, and he tells them exactly what they're going to do. It says in verse 6, 300 of them drank from cupped hands, laughing like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that laughed, I will save you. Can I repeat those words? Not the 300. I, the Lord, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. That 10,000 that starts with 10,000, 9,700, y'all got to go. Y'all are not the right team, and I'm going to do this delivering. And some of y'all are so scared of the numbers in your congregations. Oh, Lord, we don't have 10,000. How are we going to do the mortgage? Oh, Lord, we don't have 5,000. How are we going to do this program? Oh, Lord. And God's saying, don't do that math. Don't do that worldly, doubtful math. Math that don't have faith in it. Let me do the math. Let me tell you how I'm one God and how I have a cattle on a thousand hills. Let me show you what the numbers are. And the numbers are faith and not fear. All right, let's go to another example. God didn't need the 300. Y'all got to understand this. God, in an example of when David in 2 Samuel 24, 8 through 5, 15. I'm going to tell you the story so we don't use all the time. David got full of himself and asked for his mighty men, his valiant men, his warriors to be counted. He shouldn't have done that because you never need the warriors to fight. It's the Lord that fights our battles. But David got full of himself as the king and he asked for a census. So I'm going to read this for you. Verse, starting in verse 8 of 2 Samuel 24. After they had gone through the entire land, they came back to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. That's just doing the census. Verse 9, Joab reported the number, the number, the number, the number of the fighting men to the king. In Israel, there was 800,000 able-bodied men who could handle a sword, and in Judah, 500,000. I want you to see these big numbers because we just saw God said 30,000 is too many. 10,000 is too many. I can do it with 300. And really, he didn't do it, need to do it with 300 because he has angels. He has hosts that can just knock people out. But here we had David getting full of himself thinking it was the numbers of his army that he needed to rely upon to know what he could do when it came to battling his enemy and not giving the honor and the glory and recognizing it wasn't those men that they 
carry a sword or, or no battle. It's the Lord. But here's what happens. David's conscious because he knows he was wrong. Joab tried to beg him, don't do this. This is not right. But verse 10 says, David was conscious stricken. After, and that's what happens. A lot of us jump out there to do things that we know are not of God. And it's after we do it that Satan's going to accuse us and our conscience is going to be stricken. But it's after we know that we do what's wrong before the Lord. After he had counted the fighting men and had said to the Lord, I have sinned. At least he had the sense to repent before the Lord. I have sinned greatly in what I've done. Now, Lord, I beg you to take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. The Lord chastens. That means disciplines the one he loves. He will take us coming to him to ask for forgiveness. That doesn't mean there's not a consequence for the behavior, for the sin. And there's a consequence coming to David, even though David recognized after the fact that he'd done wrong. And he went to the Lord and said, I've sinned. But look what happens in verse 11. Before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to Gad, the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Here we go with numbers. Three options. That means three choices, gang. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. He's letting him choose the consequence of his disobedience. Not many of us get this, but David is an example in 2 Samuel is getting a choice of three choices. So Gad went to David and said to him, shall there come on you three years of famine in the land, number this three, this three, this three, or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you, or three days of plagues in your land. Now you would think timing, three years, three months, three days. And you think, oh, it's obvious. We only want the shorter duration. That's not why he chose what he's going to choose. Listen what it says. Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me, which you know the Lord is the one that woke up early in the morning to talk to Gad to send him David, who's the king. Verse 14, David said to Gad, I'm in deep distress, and that's how we are after we sin against God. We're in deep distress because we know that we've done, done something stupid and wrong and evil. We know he did it against the Lord, and the Lord knows. And even though he asked for forgiveness, he's, he went to God and confessed. But there's a consequence. And David says, the man after God's own heart says, I'm in deep distress. He says, here's the answer. And here's the answer of why he chose the one he did. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord. That's three-day choice. For his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into human hands. Some of us are letting ourselves fall into human hands as opposed to trusting the heavenly hands. The heavenly God that loves and has mercy and grace to the point of knowing all of our sins. He still let his beloved son be crucified by the creature. But we would rather have our lives and livelihoods and the things going on. We want the, the supervisor, the job that to have all the cards, to hold all the cards. We want the bank to hold all the cards. We want all these other natural human hands to hold the cards of our life instead of trusting God. But let's keep on. we got to keep on rolling. I can show you how you're going to see that in that scripture it says that an angel went and allowed that plague, verse 15, so the Lord sent a plague on Israel 
from that morning until the end of the time, that three days, designated, and 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. The Lord doesn't need the 300 to kill. He doesn't even need the hundreds of thousands that David had in his mighty men. If it's his will that people are going to die, just like you saw in Exodus, people are going to die. So you all trying to hold, oh, I got to keep myself alive by the, the pills and going to the doctor and all that. If the Lord wants you gone, you're gone. We got to realize it's not about what we think we're doing. It's us having faith in the sovereign Lord, who is the author and finisher of faith, the Alpha and Omega. You know, we got people are scared of Omicron, but you got to understand the Alpha and Omega overshadow Omicron, overshadow Delta, overshadow everything that this world can throw at us because he is the creator of this world. So here, let's talk about Acts because I want y'all to see something about salvation. We always are talking about how we want more people in the church. God didn't say go out and share the good news for us to have all these people in the church so we can have bigger buildings and bigger buses and everybody, hey, look at my big brick building on the corner. I'm a first, I'm a second, I'm a whatever, whatever. He never was doing it for that. He was doing it for salvation, for people to hear about his son and getting saved. And when you start to see Acts 2, the Holy Ghost has come in Acts 1 in the sense that they're all congregating, they're praying. And then the roaring wind of Acts 2 happens and Peter stands up, that Peter we talked about last week from stepping to jumping, that Peter that's emboldened with that power of the Holy Spirit that's said to Christ, I'm going to feed my feed your lambs, Christ. I'm going to I'm going to shepherd your sheep and I'm going to feed your sheep. He starts to feed them with the word of God, telling them about the history. And look what it says here. We're going to start in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to the rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I want to tell y'all something. We get into the numbers and then we get the people in Wall Street and all these little people say, oh, I can do something to make you get money for your church building. I can get some people in the building by doing advertising. Oh, we can do this. We can do this. Instead of praying, seeking God, teaching the word, teaching the word. If the people are drawn in by your little antics, they're going to expect antics instead of hearing the word of truth. But Peter spoke in Acts 2, the word of truth through the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit enabling them to speak tongues. And it's not all about speaking tongues and the gifts of the Spirit, but you must be having the Holy Spirit lead you. But look at what verse 40 says. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from the corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the, their number that day. We are talking so much about other things, other things than God and faith, and trusting in what the word is saying, instead of just going straight to the word of God. We got to add stuff. We got to put fillers in, because the kids will get bored. Oh, the, uh, the men won't like it. Oh, the women will do this. You gotta stick to the word of God enabled by the Holy Spirit. And when you speak the truth of God in love, let the power of God move. And people will have a choice. And I'm gonna talk about a couple of those choices. Now, let me get a couple more of these. 
one is a wonderful one-on-one. And I'm going to show you how his math works because Christ is everything. In John 4, when he's at the woman of the well, y'all got to read for yourself, but when he's with the woman of the well, he talks about it. She's had five husbands and the one that she had wasn't hers. So if somebody says, how many this? How many husbands? How many this? There's a number there that people would say, I'm going to assess this woman and she ain't somebody I'm bothered with. Because she's some hoe, she's some tramp, she's some this, she's some that. But Christ didn't do all that. He talked to her one-on-one because he was in the business of saving. But I want y'all to jump to verse 28 and 29 and then we're going to go to 39. Because the woman was one person that Christ talked to one-on-one. But in her testimony, the town's people got saved. So when you say, oh, there's only a couple people there at that church. Oh, oh, there's only one person you're talking to. Why are you talking to that drunk on the street? Why are you talking to that one person? Why don't you come to our program? We got lots of people. It's never about our numbers. It's about God and faith in him and trust in the Holy Spirit. So look what it says in the scripture. This is Jesus and the woman getting ready to leave. Then leaving her water jar, that's what she came from, but she came for something, but she met Jesus. Some of us are coming for the wrong things, but we need to meet Jesus. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Question mark. She's inquisitive. She's got a feeling that she knows that this is truth that just talked to her. Somebody that knew her inside and out. The message penetrated her to the point she wants to go tell the people. Why is it we can't tell nobody? We can tell everybody everything else, but we can't tell them about Christ. But it says here in verse 30, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. That him is Jesus. If we start talking about come see a man, not come see my church, not come see my pews, not come see my bus, not come see my pastor and how good looking and how would he ever hear? Come see Jesus. They came out and they came toward him. And verse 39 says, many, I'm sorry, I was 38 before, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. That wasn't 700 women, that was one woman, a one-on-one with Jesus, and one woman said, come see a man, and she saved the townspeople. What's wrong with the one of you? What's wrong with the one of me? I gotta go to one other couple things. These are gonna be quick math problems. Unschooled. In Acts 4, 8 through 14, Peter is, and and the people there, are filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand that your faith is in Christ and the scriptures, but you're empowered and enabled to speak the word about Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. You can't leave him out. It says it's one Lord. And that one Lord is comprised of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And while we are here, we have the comforter, the helper. We can't leave him on the side where we think we do our own self and do that stuff. Without God, we can do nothing. We have to be part of the vine. But look what happens, because I love it that all these people say, oh, you got to have a PhD in this. Oh, you got to have a divinity in this. I'm not knocking the schools, but don't knock the Holy Spirit out, because there are people that are empowered with the Holy Spirit. And you'll say, oh, well, they can't possibly talk about Christ. They don't have the right degree. They can't possibly come and be a part of our ministry, because they don't have a degree. But look at what happens in Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 14. Then Peter, filled with the 
elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. But you get this? The people that got the degrees, the people that are the rulers and the elders, they're like, what is going on? And you know why they say that? Because guess what? They had no education. Their education came from the Almighty God, Jesus. But look what they say in verse 13. When they saw the courage, this is the Peter that denied. This is the Peter that was having some issues with not understanding what his role was. But when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled. Y'all hear that? Unschooled. We're elevating everything above the Holy Spirit. You got to have five degrees. You got to be doing this 17 years. You got to be doing this. Where is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Father's divine plan? If you got a boy five years old, he's going to be telling people about the gospel of the Lord. Who are you to say he got to shut up? You let the Holy Spirit let people tell him about there's no other name but Jesus Christ. And it says they're unschooled, ordinary men. They don't belong on the dais. They don't belong in the newspaper. They don't got a title. They're unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. All right. I'm going to ask y'all something. I'm going to ask you something about questions. Because a lot of us have to make some decisions. They're not really hard. Sometimes it's an either or, it's a black or white. But I'm going to give y'all some decisions because what happens is people just roll through, you know. Less and less they got time to listen to Milkshake Monday and whoever's teaching, whatever's going on. But I make this one easy. This is an easy, this is a multiple choice with two choices. You in your life have little choices. You know, even Christ says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, he, he, he doesn't make it hard. But here's some decisions that I used to tell the elderly at sunrise for years. Here's a couple of decisions, more than a couple. But these are easy questions for you. Here's one decision at a time. I'm making it slow and one. You have a decision between life or death. Guess what? The Lord says in the scriptures, choose life. That's the question. Life or death. You have a choice. Do you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or you reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? The Lord said it's not his will that any should perish. And he sent his son. Guess what? Choose Jesus. God says you cannot serve God and mammon. You will hate one and love the other. So guess what? If it's a choice between God and mammon, who do you think you should choose? Hey, guess what? You should choose God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh my! Should you have hope or despair? Should you have hope or despair? As you roll into the end of 2021, do you think you want to roll into 2021 and roll into the next 2022 if the Lord gives us that ability? You want to roll in with some hope? Where are you going 
get your hope. Satan ain't going to give you no hope. Satan's going to give you despair because he's the father of lies. And his whole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And guess why you're in despair? Because you're believing a lie instead of the truth. Well, it's a choice. Here's another choice. You want to believe the truth or you want to believe a lie? Do you want to follow after the truth, Jesus? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through the Son. Or you want to believe what Facebook and YouTube and Instagram tell you? Oh, that Jesus is just a white man. Jesus is, that's just a white man's religion. That's what the slave masters want. What do you want to believe? Because guess what? At the end of this natural life, there's either a heaven with God or there's a hell and a lake of fire. Which do you want? You think, oh, I'll just be with the hellions. We'll just have a good old time. There is no fun in hell. There's no exercise in hell. So the choice again is the last one. Do you want life? That's Jesus. Or if you want to spend eternal separation from God, that's following the wide gate of what Satan is offering. And that's fear. And faith is with Jesus, and fear is with the world and with Satan. Now, I know sometimes these titles don't make sense, and I got that, I got that. But we got to start looking at some things beyond the numbers. Because God will spit out our numbers because what can he not do with zero, with one? He doesn't need any of us because he's God all by himself. He's almighty God all by himself. But he loves each and every one of us. And he doesn't want any of us to perish. And that treasure of his son that he loves. We hear that word, my beloved son. But how many of us would give up our children for a sinful society that will spit on our children. But he still loved us enough to allow Jesus Christ to take on deity and human flesh and let the creature crucify him. But he didn't get off the cross. He stayed and he said, it's finished. It's finished because he loved us. I pray in the name of Jesus that those of you that do not know Christ, that you understand the best decision that I can attest to that I've ever made in my life, the best decision I've ever made in my life is that when the Lord offers salvation to me, that I say, yeah. I yielded my life. God, forgive me. I accept your free gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, but came even knowing my sin, loved me enough to die and to be resurrected on the third day. And I don't know what it's going to take, but we're running out of time. It's not just Omicron and all this stuff going around us. Satan knows the time is short. And we're asking you to make a decision for Jesus Christ. He loves you. He loves you. This ain't play acting. He loves you. And he's there making petition, interceding for salvation. So, Lord willing, I will hopefully see you next Monday. And I pray that you all understand the harvest is right. The laborers are few. We're part of the labor force. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you go. I love you. God bless you.